Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. Today, my guest is Lloyd Godson. He's a science and marine studies teacher from Hastings Secondary College in Port Macquarie, and he's a really interesting career changer who's now in his second year in the classroom. But, you know, before he got to the classroom, Lloyd spent a month living underwater propelled himself through the Greek islands in a human-powered submarine and holds the Guinness World Record for the most electricity generated by peddling underwater. Not your average teacher. Welcome, Lloyd. Thank you, Mark. Look, you know, you, you grew up in uh, landlocked Albury. I mean, I remember Albury. You've got, a, you've got a river, you've got the Hume Weir, but it hardly seems to be a setting for someone who's fascinated by the water. How did all this interest come about? Yeah, well, for me, going to the sea was a, a once a year thing and something I look forward to every year. I was fascinated by it when we got to go uh, in my year year one book in primary school. I wrote that I wanted to be a marine scientist. Um, it was just fascinating to me. Um, my, my dad used to drive me to school into Aubrey in high school. And that was when I first sort of got exposed to scuba diving. There was a dive school in town. It was the first was the first commercial dive school in Australia, actually. And so um, lots of really fascinating technology and bits and pieces of gear that I started to, to see. And that just really sort of sparked my interest in exploring the underwater world. And really, you know, from your school days on, you became an adventurer, really. I mean, if you look at what you were doing before you became a teacher in the classrooms, it's a series of these really uh, interesting uh, adventures. Uh, tell us about uh, that adventuring spirit that you had and how those projects you worked on have really resonated with your interest in environmentalism. Yeah, well, I grew up in a very small town called Howlong just outside of Warbury, so a population of less than a 1,000. Um, and basically growing up, uh, my parents just let us explore. You know, we came home for lunch and dinner, but I spent a lot of time with my brother and sister um, just exploring our town, the river that you mentioned before, um, and then sort of going on to high school, I started to get a lot into hiking and uh, going up into the Victorian Alps on my own and camping. Um, and then following university, um, you know, I got really into all the adventurers with Australian Geographic Society. That was sort of my inspiration. Uh, and then I wanted to use adventures, I guess, to inspire students. That was where it eventually led. I wanted to um, engage kids with wacky sort of out-of-the-box thinking adventures around the world. That would be the draw card, draw them into what I was doing and then use the science behind the adventure to educate them. So do something which sounds really crazy and then use the interest that that generates to kind of um, engage people in the substance of the science. So, so one of those projects was the Wildest Adventure Competition run by the Australian Geographic magazine. You know, Tell us about your project that came on the back of that. Yeah, so following university, I went down to Antarctica to do a graduate diploma in Antarctic science. And when I was down there, I was thinking about how I could connect children in the classroom with scientists in these remote locations and doing amazing work in, you know, pretty far out areas. Um, I'd been inspired by the work of um, Dr. Ballard, who found the Titanic. He'd sort of set up something similar during remote um, webcasting from his research into the classroom, getting kids to drive robots remotely. Uh, and then when I got back to Australia, my friend 
sent me the link to this competition run by Australian Geographic called Live Your Dream Wildest Adventure. They were looking for new ideas for their magazine, something a bit different than the typical adventure. I dreamt up this self-sufficient underwater habitat, which I wanted to create like an underwater classroom uh, to educate kids from across the country and the world if they were interested in how might we live underwater in a self-sufficient manner. So that's how the Biosub project was born. And, and, and so what was the, the nature of that? What, what, did you, what did you invent? Yeah, so um, basically the idea was to create a habitat that was not reliant on the surface as much as possible. So to see if someone could live underwater self-sufficiently, explore the underwater world, looking at all the technology that they would need that would enable them to do that. Um, and what I did was I started connecting with schools and also students who were being homeschooled out in the middle of Australia to follow along that whole journey. So not just once I'd finished the project and then connect with me when I was underwater, it was about I wanted to share with them my successes, my failures, the design process, the, the redesign process, um, the build of the habitat, and then eventually they got to share the, the underwater part with me. And, and how long were you finally self-sufficiently underwater for? Uh, 12 days. So my intention was to survive for two weeks underwater, but it was a pretty good. Really, pretty good. Yeah, well, 12, I was pretty happy with that. It was only um, what happened was my, my wife was on the surface and she was kind of like my, she was looking after me. Yeah. And I was connected to a scientist in America who was monitoring my health remotely. Um, she was getting results live from underwater yeah. and then talking with my wife and then finally they said no you need to come out yep they pulled the plug on me yep which i didn't i wasn't resisting and um yeah it was it was starting to take its toll on me it was i was pretty happy with 12 days Mm. Um, i had a life support system underwater that was built by students in america i mean it was using microalgae to produce oxygen and scrub my co2 it was pretty basic and so it was it was a pretty big test um it was a big science experiment went pretty well and you know, it led to other things. And uh, a living science experiment with you as the, the key person. That You did two other experiments um, with uh, Biosub, right? Yeah, so this was a, a leap of faith um, doing the Biosub project. I had no experience in doing anything like this in the past. Uh, Australian Geographic invested $50,000 in the project. They thought it was worthwhile, a worthwhile story, a worthwhile adventure to invest in. Um, the first thing I did was went to America and chatted to some astronauts and researchers who were studying astronauts in space to get some advice and help on how to build this thing and how to survive and um, not only survive, but, you know, how to get the most out of the experiment. Uh, once it finished, um, I decided to start working on my second version of the, the project, I guess, and took all the things I learned from the first one and then adapted that for my second one. Yeah. Hey, um so uh, an adventurous spirit willing to put yourself at the at the front line of it all and i, I want to come back and loop back to your ex- how those experiences and how you draw on those experiences in the classroom today but yeah but in in a sense even though there was a lot of education involved in these projects that you ran um one of the things you then went to do was to, to start your own little school up at port macquarie the nature school tell us about that yeah, well, I guess I just realised the value of my childhood growing up in a small town where I was, um, you know, allowed to go off and take risks in the bush every day um, and what that did for my, my confidence and how much I learnt about nature and how the planet works from spending so much time outdoors with my, my brother and sister. 
And I really wanted my children to have that kind of, um, I guess, way of growing up as well, this free range kind of lifestyle. Um, you know, I'd spoken to a lot of other parents who were really concerned about their children spending so much time on screens, not just at school, but outside of school. And so I decided to create um, a place where parents could send their children where there would be no no screens or no tech time. And it was just all about reconnecting with nature. Um, I met two other individuals in Port Macquarie who were feeling the same way. Uh, we formed an Australian charity called The Nature School. Uh, and we ran a pilot program in Port Macquarie for, initially it was for children aged three to six uh, to come and experience this. And we wanted to see what they thought about it. And it's kind of grown now into an independent primary school in Port Macquarie up to grade three currently yeah and 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 so if we if we take this right you've been a, an explorer and an adventurer you've been involved in starting your own school and then you make the the call that you actually want to become a secondary school teacher a high school teacher so how did you go about transitioning to do that yeah well to be honest i never wanted to be a teacher when i finished university it was very common for people to either uh, if you did marine science you sort of either went on to do your PhD or a master's in marine science, or you might have been a consultant, a junior consultant, or you you um, were a teacher. And I didn't really have any interest in any of those things. I always felt like I wanted to do something really creative. And through those projects that I was doing, I was exposed to some really amazing teachers who inspired me eventually that, hey, maybe this teaching thing wouldn't be so bad. And, and I'd be able to pass on my passion and enthusiasm to a lot more children on a daily basis. One of those teachers uh, was from the States. As I mentioned before, I had some students build me a life support system for my underwater habitat. Um, I posed him the question, I said, I saw your students are working on a um, algae bioreactor in your classroom. Would you like to design and build me a life support system for an underwater habitat? He thought I was on crack. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> a, a request. You don't get yeah, that request no. from Australia all the time. And then he put it to his students. Hey, I've got this pretty unusual request from an Australian guy. Would you guys like to be involved? And they were really keen. It was an advanced biology class in high school over there. So I'm 15, glad they were advanced given what yeah, was at stake. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 15, 16-year-olds putting my life in their hands. And they came up with this um, bio coil for my underwater habitat. They raised about 30,000 US on their own in their community, flew over to Australia, built my bio coil, installed it in my underwater habitat. And I saw the way this teacher worked with his students. And I started, that was the first time I really started to think, oh, okay, teaching doesn't have to be this thing where you stand up the front and you, oh. you know, you're telling students what to do and how things are. And, he, he stood back and he had these six amazing students. They each brought something to the team. You know, they weren't all academic. They, there was an artistic student there who did all the design work for their drawings and uh, for the biocoil. Uh, there was a spokesperson, someone who really liked engaging with uh, the community and talking about their project. Um, then you had a couple of engineers in the team who did a lot of the building and designing. And I saw the teacher, he took a back step and let these kids work. He stepped in when he needed to. Uh, he guided them, he mentored them. They had a very special relationship. I saw the way that they respected each other and I was really, really impressed with the way he worked. As it turned out, I mean, he had won a presidential teacher's award in the States. He was a special teacher. Yeah. And like me now, I guess he had entered teaching late in his life. He was working in forestry 
for the first 20, 30 years. And then he decided people had told him, you know, you've got a pretty special connection with children. Why don't you become a teacher? He eventually did. And he made a huge impact. Um, and so he had a huge influence on my decision to, I guess, take what I had done previously and incorporate that into the classroom. And I've tried to, I guess, mimic his teaching style and, um, you know, the way that I um, give students opportunities and allow them to, to work as teams and then be there to guide them. There's a real focus in your work around design thinking. How do the mm. principles of design thinking roll out in your classrooms? Yeah, look, um, this is my second year of teaching. Last year, my first year of teaching, I heard a lot of kids complaining about things at the school and I kept telling them, look, rather than complain and, you know, bag things out or talk about how crap things are, I want you to start coming up with solutions. And so I ran in my lunch times, I started running a, a group for this so that they would come up with a problem and then identify potential solutions and work on it. Um, I had one group in particular from year seven who really grabbed this opportunity and ran with it. Um, they wanted to improve the well-being in our school and they came up with a, um, a therapy dog program. So they designed this therapy dog program. They had meetings with the principal and the executive uh, at the school um, and they ended up running a pilot program at the school, bringing in a volunteer and a therapy dog to help out with student well-being. Uh, their project was selected um, to represent Australia in Taiwan. So I uh, took two students over to Taiwan in November and they presented their design thinking project to an audience of 4,000 people in Taipei. And that was a really empowering experience for the children, but also for me as a teacher to see, um, you know, what was possible when you give these kids the opportunity to work in a small group like that and take on a problem that means a lot to the students um, and so I've tried to um, incorporate that into my classroom as much as possible but in reality I do a lot of that um, work with students in my lunch times or after school um, trying to focus on um, the environment now so I've we're part of the Westport environment and sustainability team we've got some students working on some really fascinating projects there. Um, I mean, you make a big thing about trying to get your students outdoors, out into nature, out in the water. I mean, what do you see as the real benefits of real-world learning and engaging your students in that way? Oh, look, I just see that students behave completely differently when they're um, out in the world talking to members of the community or, you know, doing hands-on projects that have real value. Um, kids that might give you a hard time in the classroom, you know, you can have amazing discussions with them out in the field and you form completely different relationships with students when you're doing something like that. Um, yeah, I've tried, I try my best in my daily teaching to, to get students out and to experience uh, all the things that Port Macquarie has to offer, uh, connecting them with um, people in the community, you know, engineers or marine scientists or um, other people that can come in and share their story and sort of give, rele give relevance to what we're doing in the classroom. You've come into teaching mid-career with such an interesting background and it sounds like the approach that you're taking to some of these teaching and learning challenges is a little different. What's been the reaction to your approach from other teachers uh, on the staff at the school? Yeah, I would say that most of the staff at my school really appreciate the energy and enthusiasm I bring, not only for the science subject material, but just in general for 
my passion for educating kids and coming up with creative ways of doing things around the place. Um, the science faculty welcomed me with open arms. My head teacher um, said to me from day one, you know, you're a creative person, you do things differently. I want you to teach the way you want to teach. I want you to do things differently. She said, you know, things we do here don't necessarily work for all kids. We want you to bring that something special and try new things. Like, um, here's your program. Throw it out if you want. And as long as you teach those outcomes, we don't care how you do it. But right. we want you to really engage those kids with what makes you different. And so I've tried to do that as much as possible. Just, yeah, really share my enthusiasm and passion and experience from the past to engage them. Do you think you're a better teacher because you didn't uh, start it till, you know, 15, 20 years after you left university? I think so. I think um, if I had have been a teacher straight out of university, um, I just wouldn't have all these world experiences to, to share with the kids and I probably wouldn't have the confidence. Um, you know, I've seen other new teachers um, in schools and I, I see that sometimes they don't have that confidence in front of children to deliver material in an engaging way. I just feel um, it doesn't intimidate me. I just I feel at ease with going in front of a classroom um, talking to kids because I've spoken to so many kids and other groups from all around the world. Um, I'm excited to do what I do. So I, I, you know, I come in with a lot of energy. The, the kids, you know, they, they respond to that. The, my classroom is a happy place. They, they know that even if I'm having a bad day that I'll go in there and I'll give it 120%. I'll put on a smile. I'll, I'll dance around. I sing. I, my, it's a, it's a pretty, um, I'm pretty dynamic, yeah. I guess, in front of the kids. And um, most of the kids really, really appreciate that, that I'll come in and just give it everything. And, and I've got so many stories that I can, you know, if we're doing something, a bit of content, I can usually find a story, a really interesting story that I can connect it to and, and show some pictures or whatever. And, and um, what's been the surprise? What, what weren't you expecting about uh, a teaching career that's it's been a reality you've had to engage with? Oh, yeah, look, this is um, – there's still surprises coming up every day, I guess. It's um, halfway through my second year. There's a whole lot of things that I'm still learning about teaching. I've still got a lot to learn. Um, I guess it's the, the daily rigour of, you know, you've got your um, – your classes, um, but then you've got all the things that happen outside of those classes. Um, you know, students that need a little bit of additional care or attention. You've got um, all the documentation that you need to do, you know, reporting. It's, it is a pretty stressful job, I feel. And I see that um, around the school that there are a lot of stressed teachers in particular at certain times of the year. And I guess for me, it's, uh, staying staying positive, trying to be that happy person, not only to other staff but to the students. Uh, at the same time, trying to manage your workload, you know, all those things I mentioned, trying to keep on top of all that, while at the same time looking for opportunities for students because I spend a lot of my spare time looking and creating opportunities for students and in particular the students at our school, which, you know, it's a bit of a low SES school. I try to find opportunities and funding so that, I can give them all an opportunity to attend excursions, not, you know, not just the ones that have the money. I want all the kids to be able to go if they have an interest or passion in something. 
You recently took a group of students to Lady Elliot Island on the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, what was that work involved? Yeah, so I teach marine studies at my school and I really wanted the kids to fall in love with the Great Barrier Reef to experience it firsthand. Uh, it can be expensive getting kids to the Great Barrier Reef, in particular uh, where I took them. Um, and so I sourced some funding from Inspiring Australia. I got uh, $18,000 to take 18 children on this excursion. So basically they were all given a $1,000 scholarship to come along. They paid about $400. Um, they spent four nights on the Great Barrier Reef um, at an eco-resort on Lady Elliot Island. Um, I had uh, a few of my students who had never crossed the border before into Queensland. I had a few that had never put on a mask before or snorkeled. Um, most of them had never been to the reef or to an island or on an aeroplane, all of those things. So there were so many new experiences for them uh, before they even got there. Uh, then on the island, of course, you know, we, I took one of my students scuba diving, um, which is pretty magical. We got down the, the anchor line of the boat. First thing we see was three bottlenose dolphins crew straight past us. We could hear the whale singing underwater. I mean, it just it blew her away. She was, it was just an amazing experience. And there were so many of those for all of the students. They all had uh, so many new experiences. They saw what it took to run an eco-resort, the sustainability side of things, uh, all these new careers. And I was advised by a, another private school who had taken their students to the same island the year before that four nights would be way too many and that the kids would get bored. Um, all of these kids, every single one of them, four days later were like, we don't want to go home, we <laughs> want to go back. They just did not want to leave that place. And now I've got uh, some of those students who are wanting to be marine scientists or they want to go back. The resort was, you know, saying, why don't you come back after school and work up here and get some experience in different fields? And so, um, yeah, that was really interesting for me to see how these kids responded differently, you know, to that same experience. They oh. didn't want it to end. Yeah. Um, when we think about your career and all the interesting things you did, and before you became a teacher. You know, I, I suspect that given the increase in enrolment numbers we're seeing in Australian schools, particularly here in New South Wales, uh, we're going to need to do more recruiting of teachers and actually target mid-career people more to come into teaching. And, you know, I think our big entry has always been for those straight after graduating university in their early 20s. But, you know, the prospect, uh, our, our pitch to people in their mid-30s, mid-40s, they've done other interesting things, the, the value and the appeal uh, of the teaching career, that, that's a message we need to get. So what's your mm. message to them? You know, if we, use, if we put you on posters uh, yeah. <laughs> to promote a mid-career transition to teaching, what's your message going to be? Oh, look, I think it will be something along the lines of um, the, the difference that you can make to students' lives. And it is hard work. Um, you know, I've got a couple of students in mind in particular who they were having a really tough time of things and, you know, didn't seem like it they were really appreciating you at the time but a year on um i've seen the way that my presence at the school has transformed their lives and so i think this is something really valuable for me and would be really valuable for other people considering a career change would be to know how valuable your input can be on those children's lives how much impact you can have 
Well, so. I, we're going to prepare the posters now. It's a great story, <laughs> Lloyd. Lloyd Godson, thanks so much for being our guest on uh, Every Student Today. And I know that, you know, I think this podcast is going to mean a lot of people are going to contact you uh, to uh, try and appreciate a little bit more about the work you're doing up at Port Macquarie uh, and to think through how the lessons that you can draw from your experience into teaching can impact other classrooms across the state as well. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.